Hey now, hey now, hey now. We all know the truth. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And yada, yada, yada. Hey, okay. So tonight, what we're doing is dangerous. Here's why it's so dangerous. Because we're going to attempt to... Uh, stay reined in, but I have no guiding material. You know, generally speaking, I try my best to have an article or, you know, read from something. And, and, you know, that serves two purposes. One, it allows me to stay on course. You know what I mean? And two, it allows me to riff off of somebody. If I don't have a guest, you know, I can riff off of the material that I am reading from and, and it allows for some back and forth. But I am flying without a net tonight. I am going completely off of the top of the dome. I, I've done this a few times, but um, never with a topic as dangerous as a Romero film or zombie films because Zombie films are, you know, anything George Romero related is something that I can talk about ad nauseum almost as much, if not more than, say, you know, uh, the Misfits or the Beatles or any of the other anchor topics that we have here on the channel. And what's interesting is it's 2024, so it has been 20 years since the remake of Dawn of the Dead has come out. I used to watch this remake often. I I really it was it was a, a movie that I enjoyed throwing on. It's a great sort of uh mind-numbing turn your brain off popcorn movie. You can just turn your brain off, throw the movie on and, you know, do your thing. You don't have to think about what you're watching. It's an effortless watch. There's some movies that require a serious investment. That's not true. Not all, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. The, those movies where you really need to intently focus either on the plot, the plot, maybe it's like a noir type situation. It's something that's, that's plot, uh, plot dependent. And then there's just those movies that just play themselves. They watch themselves is the best way to describe it. Right. It's like, it's like before you blink your eyes, a half hour has passed and you're so involved with whatever it is that you're watching, whether there's whether it's deep or whether it's superficial, you're just really invested. And I feel like the Dawn of the Dead remake is one of those movies. And maybe therein lies part of the problem. But the question that I asked <clears throat> in the thumbnail of this video is the Dawn of the Dead remake from 2004. Is it, in fact, a remake? And that's one question, rhetorical question, perhaps, that I'm going to attempt to try to find some sort of semblance of an answer. I don't know if I don't know if it's quite possible. So let me let me already see. This is why I need this is why I need a guiding material, because already I've sort of chased my tail in circles and I don't. <laughs> Boy, do I hate it when that happens. Um. No, so last night I I saw it was on Netflix. And I was like, you know what? It has been, it's got to, it's got to be at least a decade or even longer since I have watched. I've been into that. I've been revisiting movies that I, you know, that I haven't seen in a really long time. That's why you call it a revisit because a revisit is something that you have not, um, that you've not watched or that you've a movie that that you've that you know you've seen but it's been so long since you've watched it that it's almost like seeing it with a fresh with fresh eyes for the first time i wouldn't say that the dawn of the dead remake falls into that specific category but it definitely qualifies as a revisit because it had just been a minute since i had sat down and watched it i want to say it's been over a decade definitely been over a decade you know sometimes you watch a movie incessantly and then you put it down you're like okay i have like watched this to death i don't need and there are other certain films i never get sick of watching return of living dead i could watch that forever and ever and ever watch that over and over and over again and i have there have been times where i've watched return of the living dead three times in a row i watched it and then i watched it with the, the the commentary track and then i watched it with the secondary commentary track there's like four commentary tracks on return of the living dead that's how much i could rewatch goodfellas i've talked about this before point being is i wouldn't say that dawn of the dead remake falls into that category but it's just a very easy it's an, it's a movie that you can effortlessly rewatch. so i was like all right let's watch this in the year 2024 and see how it holds up now 
right off the bat, and this blows my mind. I think I said it already in the last five minutes. It's amazing that this movie is 20 years old to me. I remember when it came out, I saw it opening day in the theater. You know, I had my butt in the seat, and it's one of the, it was a very memorable movie going experience for me because <clears throat> it was a very me memorable movie going experience for me. Hey, what's up, Amy? Thank you for the skulls. You watch Batman 89 any day. That's great. I love your dedication to Batman 89. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Uh, so I went to go see it opening day. I was 18 years old and I was like, oh boy, cannot wait to see this. You know, I was super stoked. It was like, you know, that time too. remember the early 2000s was sort of the beginning of a, of a zombie renaissance that really has not gone away you know, in the last two decades, man, I mean, zombies like they they wax and wane a little bit, but like they have remained popular. I want to say that the that what has contributed to that that lasting power is TV show like The Walking Dead or The Last of Us, stuff like this, you know, apocalyptic sort of stuff, which has sort of really kept zombies somewhere in the periphery even if it's not like the the rage but man i want to say from like 2002 to like 2008 zombies zombies it was all about everybody was about zombies and before that zombies were sort of very much you know you know it was uh on the fringe man like you know to be into romero was a very sort of fringe thing to read the walking dead comic that was like you found someone else who read the walking dead comic in like the year 2005 it was like we are best friends and now it's like been homogenized nationalized across you know uh, across television because of amc and whatnot and so this was seeing Dawn of the Dead. The remake was right smack dab in the middle. It was Zack Snyder. It was his first feature length film. He was a music video director. We all know who Zack Snyder is now, but Zack Snyder back then, he was just, he was, a, he was not a known name. You know, he was not a known name. Um, the reason why it was such a, and then of course, James Gunn, who, you know, if you were a fan of trauma, you already knew who James Gunn was. James Gunn was a guy who was, he had he he had written Tromeo and Juliet. He had written Citizen Toxie. He was um he he was he was in he was a he was a he was a disciple of Lloyd Kaufman, and he had somehow found his way into being um, a hot screenwriter. First he first he did uh he did the Scooby Doo movies, which are great movies. Those Scooby Doo movies are fantastic. The live action ones, great casting. <clears throat> it's amazing to think that 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 crop of teenagers from like the nineties is like, they're like old now they're like in their middle age, but like, Oh my God, fucking Freddie Prince jr. Is Freddie. That, that, that was perfect. Uh, Matthew Lillard as, as shaggy was like, I mean, he was in born to play shaggy and uh, what's her face as, as uh, Velma who I, oh, I always had the hots for Linda Cardinelli, I think from freaks and geeks. She, she was great. And of course, Sarah Michelle Gellar was perfect as Daphne. Those, those movies were fantastic. Those two movies, go check them out. If you've never seen them, uh, they should do like a reunion with that cast and have him. I mean, James Gunn wouldn't do it now. He's James Gunn's running DC. Now it's crazy how James Gunn is. It's crazy to me how Zack Snyder and James Gunn have both blown up and how they both have like, you know, uh, done all this stuff in DC and they both kind of broke out with Dawn of the dead together as a team up kind of weird to think about that 20 years ago. In any case, like this was James Gunn. This was his big, this was his big splash into, you know, big budget mainstream horror. He came from, like I said, he came from the trauma world, but you know, which is always horror adjacent, but to do something on this level was what this was next level mainstream shit. And, you know, of course, and him as a writer for Scooby-Doo, that was more like, that was more like a subversive nod. Like if you like, you were kind of cool, that was cool currency. Like, yeah, that's actually the guy from trauma. Now he's writing Scooby-Doo. How weird is that? And eventually he would go on to direct. He did two movies, he did super. And he did, um, he did Slither, which is zombie adjacent. It's more like night of the creeps, which is also a zombie, adjacent movie um and amy is making me feel like the oldest man in the world amy one of our channel one of our channel uh uh commentators watchers followers persons she says she was one year old in 2004 first time i watched it was when i was 14 loved it ever since 
Amy, you thank you for making me feel like older than water, but that's amazing. And it's amazing too to think like that's Amy's perspective on that movie. Like that blows my mind. That blows my mind. For me at that time, like I said, I was 18 and I could not get enough of zombies, man. I could not like I just everything I absorbed, I like consumed, you know, I was a Romero disciple. Okay, I came from when I was 10 years old in 1995. Um, I saw Night of the Living Dead for the first time, and I also saw Return of the Living Dead for the first time. And those two movies kind of like changed me in such incredible ways. And then I went down the Romero rabbit hole. And if you've if you've watched the secret shows where we've talked about Romero and Glenn Danzig and whatnot. Um, talked about homepage of the dead homepage of the dead was where you could go to sort of uh, revel in all things, George Romero. There was a fan fiction section where the, you know, there was a story about the continuation of uh, Dawn of the dead. Like what happens to Franny and, and uh, uh, Franny and Peter, not Peter. Fucking what's his name? What the fuck is Ken Forey's name in Dawn of the dead? Peter. Am I losing my fucking mind? Yeah, right. Roger dies. Stephen is flyboy. Peter. Peter and Fran, what happens to them? And she has to give birth to her baby. And there was a story there. It was called When One Becomes Two. That was like supposed to be like the beginning of the outbreak. And there was a section for Twilight of the Dead. And we talked about that actually on another, on another show. The point was that like I, you know, I reveled in all things. So I was so like I was the audience for the Dawn of the Dead remake in the theater in 2004. And the reason why it was such a, now I remember where I was, reason why it was such a memorable experience for me was that opening 10 minutes into the credit sequence, okay? I had never experienced anything like it in my life. I had seen up to that point, like I said, 18 years old, been going to the movies since I was, what, five years old? And I've seen a lot of movies. I saw everything, every big movie that came out through the 90s into the 2000s. I had seen it all, man. But I'll tell you something. I had never, up until that point, I don't think I had ever been blown away. Blown, not, I would say blown away, but really hanging off the edge of my seat. Hanging off the edge of my seat, watching the world collapse in the most realistic way, you know, to talk about anything with, with zombies re being realistic is kind of a weird thing to do. So let's, I don't know how to counterbalance that. As realistic as one could be when discussing zombies, right? This was the most realistic portrayal of watching the world end in real time. In Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, we didn't really see the world end. We sort of, we, we were, we were dialed into these, these very sort of contained scenarios. Never up until that point had we seen the worldwide mayhem, and mayhem is the proper word to use. Never had I seen such mayhem in in such a widespread way up on the screen. So I'm sitting there in the theater watching this and I am literally, I'm about to fall off the edge of my seat. My jaw is hanging open because my brain cannot comprehend. I cannot process the carnage that I am seeing in the first four or five minutes. A cute little girl is, has a freaking face chewed off and then she rips some guy's neck open. Talk about we bite. And then he bleeds to death on the fucking bedspread. And then, I mean, just it, like thing after thing, it just cascaded. And it's like, how do you end a sequence like that? Kiss of steel, boom, right into a tree. Um, Sarah Polly's character just, boom, crashes right into a tree. And it cuts to black. And then we hear some of the greatest usage the one of the greatest needle drops i don't know if that counts as a needle drop or if it's just if it's just a whatever a, a, a some music selection for a film one of the greatest ever in my personal opinion this is my personal opinion the man comes around by johnny motherfucking cash with that and you know what's so ballsy about it what so makes it so serious especially when you sit and you like marinate on the lyrics 
I mean, the guy, he's just strumming. It's just him and his guitar until like more orchestration kind of kicks in a little bit later. Um, it's just, it's just Johnny Cash strumming a guitar with that hoarse, like rugged, you know, gravelly voice, you know, just talking about fucking death. Like death is coming. Like death comes ripping. I've made like five misfit references, just cascading, man, cascading this death comes ripping, but in the form of Johnny fucking cash. Like, I mean, that's so badass. Like think about all the different musical choices. One could pick for say Dawn of the dead. Like you could go with fear of the dark by iron maiden. You could go, I don't know. There's like a million things you go with like the ace of spades by fucking motorhead. You can go with like, I don't know, maybe enter Sandman by Metallica. You could just, you could go really heavy. There's like a million ways to do it. And Zack Snyder's like, nah, I don't know if it was Zack Snyder. Maybe it was James Gunn who picked, no, no, it would be Zack Snyder. Cause why would J the screenwriter pick the music? Although it does seem like a James Gunn move because James Gunn, much like Quentin Tarantino, much like a lot of other tour filmmakers, uh, does a, a a great job of of needle dropping music in his own films, particularly those Guardian of the Galaxy movies. Let me take a sip of seltzer because I need to wet my whistle. Oh, got a little spillage. Okay. Um, oh my God, what what balls! The balls. Not only are we going to open this movie in this kind of way, but then we're going to cut to a Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash has always kind of been, you know, he's got a dark kind of side to him. You know, uh, there's a there's a compilation that perfectly kind of uh, there's a compilation of Johnny Cash's from the from the 2000s that really kind of encompasses what the themes of his work. And it's called Love, God and Death. And I so I feel like it, it, it is appropriate. It does work in that way. But it's just what a baller way to open it. And then we're over the credit sequence. We are just established into this world of like you see this guy's having a press conference. Are they dead? Or are they alive? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Just the idea. And especially we've come, we've just come through, you know, we didn't come through as a, 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 the end of the world via zombies, but we just went through, you know, a, a situation where, where, you know, what happened in 2020, you know, which created all kinds of pandemonium in a variety of ways. So the idea of something so, uh, sinister as the dead coming back to life inexplainably and consuming the flesh of the living is just that was always so utterly terrifying. I mean, I couldn't think of a worse way to die. It just scared the crap out of me as a child, as a as a child into my early teens, into uh, young adulthood, and it just it just fucking worked, man. It just it just clicked. So that that whole opening, I just I was just sold. I was just sold, and then what the movie kind of turns into. So here's the thing. So let's get to this, this piece. Now, what is Dawn of the dead 2004? What is a remake and where does Dawn of the dead 2004 um, sort of exist in the greater picture when, when looking at movies like, like George Romero's Dawn of the dead and here's the problem when you give two things that are either separate or or similar when you give them the same name what you end up doing is you end up locking them in a gravitational orbit where they need to be compared and contrast forever like there's nobody out there that is looking at peter jackson's dead alive or even Return of the Living Dead, which has Living Dead in the title. Nobody is sitting there and really just sort of comparing these movies. Everybody's like, yeah, that is, those are, those are, you know, they both have zombies, but they're different things, fundamentally different things. And people love them for different reasons in different sort of capacities. But when you have something that is inevitably tied, again, you know, we could use the Misfits as an example. We can even use, you know, we've been talking a lot about Sublime on the channel and the idea of Sublime and Sublime with Rome, you know, the idea of these things that are very different or that are, that, that are deviate from, from what makes them similar, but yet ultimately always have to be compared because they have the same name. And I feel like that is probably the biggest problem with remakes. So let's first sort of define 
what is a remake and where when does something stop becoming a remake so a remake is the reimagining the remaking of a movie and you know it can be very loose for some movies for some remakes the the the, the most basic of premises like something that is so uh surface level like is like for instance a great example let's say that they decided to hmm, trying to think of a good example here all right let's say first for for argument's sake that they i mean there, there's like a million remakes to choose from but i want to pick this one right off my head because i think this is this is a good example jaws jaws is an unremakable movie in my personal opinion but let's say that they decided to remake jaws and let's say that jaws ended up just this remake of jaws was actually deep blue sea or some one of the other very varied shark movies that have come out more recently um you would still call it a remake of jaws because it's called jaws it's trying to stand on leech from the the brand identity which is why people do these remakes of the first one oh here's an established brand let's let's do our own version of it let's update it and do our own version of it but if you look at deep blue sea and you look at jaws you would never go wow that you know those movies are the same thing no what do they have in common what do deep blue sea and jaws have in common they have sharks that's it and if deep blue sea was a remake of Jaws and it was called Jaws. The other thing that it would have in common is the title. And that would be it. So you go, oh, those movies are both called Jaws. Oh, those movies both have sharks. And that's where it ends, right? So therefore, it's not really so much a remake as is it's somebody taking the title of something and taking something from it that makes it align in some way and then doing something completely different would you call that a remake no i don't think so i don't think it could be considered to be a remake um on the flip side you have remakes where the story itself is retold from the beginning similar same same characters maybe not every character is the same sometimes the characters are all the same same plot points same beat look at psycho Look at Psycho 1998 and look at Psycho from 1960. Gus Van Zandt's shot-for-shot. They're known as shot-for-shot remakes. Look at Funny Games, 1997. And when did that other one come out? 2006, I want to say? I don't know. Same director in that case. You have these You have these shot-for-shot remakes where they beat by beat. It is literally a remake of the same movie. And those are also kind of pointless, too. It's also kind of pointless. So these two types of remakes are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum and are kind of pointless. Why would you do a beat-by-beat -beat remake of a movie that is great and already exists and is perfect the way it is? You'd want to break new ground. You'd want to do something new. You don't want to do a sequel. You want to retell the story, but from a completely different, but from a sort of varied standpoint. We want to use some of the characters, some of the setups, but we want to deviate from the story. The story is different. In my opinion, at the center of what we are discussing, uh, a remake that is nearly perfect in every conceivable way, because I think the best remakes, in my personal opinion, the best remakes are the ones that are are remakes of something really old, but reinvigorating them, updating them, improving on something that was flawed. You have movies that are either iconic, but have great shortcomings. You have movies that are, are, are made by beloved filmmakers and they're famous for that reason because they're made by a filmmaker, but aren't that great. And then what happens is somebody takes that vehicle they take the basic premise. They take maybe no, they take more than the basic premise. They take the plot. They take the plot and then they they build on top of it or they flesh it out and they update it. And a great example of someone who masterfully, masterfully remade a, a film that was a, a, by all means a, a class, a cult classic, a beloved film, which I never really cared for much. Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes was remade by Alexander Aja. I hope I'm saying that right. He's a, a French filmmaker from the New French Extremity. He did 
uh, High Tension. He did uh, he did a bunch of stuff. He also did the Pir Piranhas Piranhas remake as well. His his version of The Hills Have Eyes is not only superior to the original. It takes the it's it's taking the same story uh, and just building on it, expanding the mythology. Um, it's more grisly. It's more violent. It's more action packed. Um, the, there's more investment. The characters are more fleshed out. The stakes are greater. You know what I mean? It just, that to me is what, that is the space in which, because the rule of thumb is remakes are always going to suck. And there are plenty out there that, that are, are an exception to that, to that idea, that notion. And, and, um, Hills Have Eyes is one of them. That remake perfectly improves upon and sort of updated i mean it's just slaps and that movie's about to be 20 years old too another example of that would be invasion of the body snatchers from 1978 the original is a classic everybody loves it black and white kevin mccarthy it's a great film in and of itself and then the remake with donald sutherland and jeff goldblum just takes it up to another level uh, improves upon it. And, you know, of course, we have the golden trifecta of remakes that we've discussed, The Fly, The Blob, and The Thing. All three of these remakes took from something that was great or classic or revered and um, retold the same story or retold a similar story and updated and improved. In the case of The Fly, it's really just the teleportation pod and the fly itself that are really used. Everything else is different. In the case of The Blob, The Blob is almost, I mean, The Blob, a lot of The Blob's story comes from the original, the original, uh, whatchamacallit, um, the original movie. Uh, in the case of the thing, the thing is a uh, sort of a mixture, right? Um, yeah, that the body snatchers from the body snatchers from the nineties, that that's the Abe Ferreira one. You know, I saw that recently for the first time. It was okay. It wasn't, it was okay. Um, the point being is that there, there's like a middle of the, there's a middle of the spectrum where these things kind of really work. So you have, so I think we've established the spectrum really well. You have one end where it is shot for shot unnecessary. You have the other end where they've taken the title and the barest of premises and say, Hey, this is the remake of this. And it just doesn't really sort of work. That's on the other side. And then you have the sweet spot in the middle where you have these movies that existed. They're great on their own. They're classics, but they're flawed or they have their own shortcomings or they, they could have used an update in some way, shape or form invasion of uh, invasion of uh, invaders from Mars. Toby Hooper, 1985. That's another great example. And what happens is these, these films are updated in a way that, that really sort of um, uh, push them into the stratosphere of being, so, so entirely on another level from what they once were. So now we've established the spectrum and we go back to Dawn of the Dead 78 and Dawn of the Dead 2004. Where does Dawn of the Dead 2004 lie on this spectrum? How does it function as a movie? How does it function as a movie as it relates to dawn of the dead and before we get there we need to talk about riot stickers and to do that we're going to talk uh about riot stickers so we'll be right back ooh, uh, ooh, uh, we've got a new sticker deal at riot stickers that's right folks we are starting a brand new promotion here at riotstickers.com and it is for die cut stickers <gasps> What exactly is die cut? What does it mean? It's time for Sticker Science 101. Basically, you got your regular stickers, right? But we introduce a new element with the die cut sticker. Basically, what you do with a computer-guided scalpel. That's right, computer-guided scalpels. Isn't that a great band name, computer-guided scalpel? I love it. You can cut the exact shape of whatever your design is. So whatever you got going on, whatever its borders are, there's no borders, there's no limitations. You take your computer guided scalpel and you just cut around the edge and you get, voila, a die cut sticker. So in addition to the UV coating that protects from the sun, in addition to being printed on vinyl, which makes them weatherproof and waterproof, you can now have the exact shape that you want. 
Well, you always could, but you couldn't for a price like this. For $69, you can get 200 die-cut stickers. There are some people out there who are die-cut fanatics. They need die-cut stickers in their lives. You are not going to find a better deal than this. Now, there's only one place you're going to find this incredible die-cut sticker deal for $69. 200 stickers for $69. And that's if you go to the link down in the description. You go to riotstickers.com backslash from us. That's riotstickers.com backslash from us. What, Sharpie Riot, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your mind? These prices are insane. These prices are Crazy Eddie level prices. If you know Crazy Eddie, then you might be old. You might be older than me. You're probably way older than me. You click on the link, you do the thing, and you get your die cut stickers. Do not hesitate to get this deal, okay? And without further ado, future Jeff, roll the 60-second Riot sticker commercial. Go, do it. Um, you know, right here, this is a great comment. Uh, I feel that Dawn is a compliment to the original and a great reimagining high on the remake spectrum. Okay. Um, here is, so, so what other thing that we need to, we need to appraise before we talk about Dawn is, um, where, what about the night of living dead remake? And we, we just got, we've talked about it before on the channel. Some of you might already know my feelings about it the the the, the night of living dead remake is in my opinion one of the best remakes ever like it really is it really is fantastic it was written by george romero and directed by tom savini so you have the same filmmaker uh coming back and revisiting his his own material and not only is he doing that he's changing what happens to Barbara? Barbara's arc changes. What happens to Harry Cooper changes. He sort of, he changes things around. He sort of changes the focus. In 1968, the focus was all on Ben, and we all know what happens to Ben. But, and what happens to Ben is super important for a year, like 1960, especially. I was on Instagram just talking about this recently. The idea of how, what happens to Ben relates to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., right like think about that for a minute martin luther king jr was was uh killed in um april of 1968 those riots happen in dc all over the place uh night of living dead is still being you know made in some capacity whether it's being edited or scored or whatever and it would come out in october right and so in the 90s it's like instead of doing the same thing that everybody is getting that's the other thing too that was so brilliant of george they, you know, keeping people on their toes. I'm going to go back and revisit the same story, but instead of instead of letting you expect what's going to happen, instead Barbara is going to live. Barbara is going to push in the other direction. What Barbara does in 1968 is very heroic. What she does, she rises above her trauma and sacrifices herself to save Helen Cooper from being ripped apart, and in and in in the and as well as get get you know, uh, uh, destroyed by her own brother, killed by her own brother, Johnny, who is now one of the living dead. And then, you know, the other, the other sort of end of it, it you know, what, what Romero does in, in 1990, where he, he, he gives Barbara agency and suddenly she, she switches from being in a skirt. She puts on pants. I know it sounds really stupid, like a stupid on the nose kind of metaphor, but you know, it, it, it works, right. It works. It's like, she is, 
she is not the helpless Barbara that she was. She's not the try helpless is not the right word. Barbara was traumatized. She had seen her brother die. She was speechless. She couldn't, she didn't have her wits about her. You know what I mean? Um, and in this one, in the 1991, she rises above it all. She so we end up getting this completely different ending um within the remake. So it's like it surprises us, it subverts all of what of our expectations are gonna be. So it was really great, really, really well done. Where does that fall on the spectrum? I'd say it's it's closer to the middle. It's not a shot-for-shot shot remake, but it does follow a lot of the same beats that the original story does. It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. I, did, I should wish I had a diagram for our spectrum. Let's say that. Let's say that the Gus Van Zant remake is right here. I would say the Night of the Living Dead remake is right here, and then in the middle, right here, is uh, the the um, what should we call it? Uh, Hills Have Eyes and the Fly and the Blob and all that, and then on the other end is our fictionalized um our fictionalized example of jaws and jaws someone give me a better example than the jaws one because jaws was not remade what's an example of a movie i get you know i want to i'm almost ripe to say rife to blah, blah, blah. i'm almost akin to say the texas chainsaw massacre uh remake i would say the one from 2003 i would say that is a pretty good example i mean yes there's leatherface but really, that's about it. There's nothing. There's nothing else from the original story that kind of gets incorporated. What John Russo didn't die? No, bite your tongue. John Russo's still alive, and if he did die, that would be really upsetting. Um, George Romero has passed away. What? Well, come on, somebody give me an example of a remake. Somebody give me an example of a remake where uh, what what I'm talking about with the the Jaws premise. All right, let's let's now move on to Dawn, the original Dawn of the Dead. The original Dawn of the Dead, you know, besides being an epic, besides being all of the things that it is, is a very, very character focused. It does not. Yes. Great example. Thank you. Friday the 13th. That's a good example of one for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, there's like a million of them. And I, for some reason, they're not coming to my head. Like, what is a movie that was made like five times, remade five times? Funny, Invasion of the Body Snatchers has four remakes. Isn't that crazy? Four remakes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There's got to be something else. What else was remade? I would say, oh, you know what's a good one, actually? And I would say it's a pretty good remake. Um, uh, The Mummy. The Mummy from 1999. It's not uh it's not a shot for shot remake and it's not just the premise it's somewhere in the middle they take from the original story from 1938 with uh with what's his face um uh fuck what's his name uh Frankenstein uh not Bela Lugosi uh Boris Karloff you know they they take they took a lot from that and they just sort of they sort of uh folded it in um Dawn of the Dead is takes its time right? It's a two hour movie and really two hours and 20 minutes, depending if you're watching the extended mall hours version, it's that, which is not a real cut. It's a fan edit. It's actually like two hours and 34 minutes, It, but it it's a long movie for a zombie movie. Zombie movies are not generally do not break the two hour barrier, but here we have a movie that's two and some change. It's, it's two on the nose. If you're watching the theatrical cut, it's two hours. If you're watching the Argento cut, which cuts out a whole act of the fucking movie, a whole friggin' uh, uh, sequence of the movie that's like kind of essential to the plot. Um, uh, the Argento cut is is 118 minutes, I want to say, or maybe it's even 115 minutes. So it's uh, it's just shy under two hours. And then the Cannes cut, which is also considered the director's cut, although George has always said the theatrical cut is actually the director's cut. The, the cans cut is um, the longest cut, which is the one I always end up watching, which is about 2.15, something like that. Um, yeah, it's about 2.15, I want to say. 2.10, 2.15. Um, that's a long movie for a zombie movie. So it's like this weird thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a character-driven story where, you know, and then the other thing, too, is the zombies are a catalyst, Right. The zombies are a catalyst. The zombies are not the antagonistic factor. They are a catalyst for the situation and the world that they live in. Are they an antagonistic force? For sure. But they are not the antagonist. They are 
um, they are a catalyst that has been forced upon, foisted upon the world that has made the world what it is. The real antagonists are humans. And that's, that's when George, George Romero has always done best. And that's what George Romero's always focused in night of living dead, Harry Cooper in dawn of the dead, captain Rhodes in, in no, sorry. In day of the dead is captain Rhodes. And in dawn of the dead, it's, it's the biker gang. The, the, the antagonistic force is always people. People are the monsters, you know? Um, oh, it's 101 minutes. Really? The Argento cut is that's crazy. If you ever want a really good like exercise, like if you want to like a really, if you really want to understand editing and editing choices and how editing can transform the same exact material into two completely different tones, watch the Argento cut and then watch the Romero cut of Dawn of the Dead slash zombie because it's the, the, the European cut. The Argento cut is known as zombie. Um. These movies, these movies focus on people. They don't focus on the zombies. The zombies, the the, the zombies are, oh, oh, it's Day of the Dead is 101 minutes. Yeah, I was like, that's way too short. That's way too short for it to be, for it to be uh, Dawn of the Dead. For, Dawn of the, I'm, I'm telling you, Argento Cut, I'm, I'm calling it right now. 114 minutes, 115 minutes, 160 minutes, somewhere in there. That's, that's how, that's the length. Um, These, the, the, the zombies might as well be weather. They might as well be a weather disaster in the same way as if like the world has flooded and everybody's floating around on ships or the, the, the world is engulfed in fire and we're all trapped in a house and trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, save ourselves from burning. That's that's the type of that's the that's the type of uh, force of nature. The zombies are a force of nature. That's what they are. Um, and that's how they're treated in those movies. And that's what makes those movies work so well. So then we're forced to turn back and look at the characters themselves and how the characters are operating in these spaces. How are they functioning in the farmhouse? How are they functioning in the mall? How are they functioning in the underground bunker? And another key important factor that is present in, in these films, in the premise of these films, is the location. The Monroeville Mall is a character. The farmhouse in Night of the Living Dead is a character, but to a lesser extent. The mall really is a, a main character of Dawn of the Dead. And the bunker, to a lesser extent as well, is a sort of a character in Day of the Dead. I mean, it's like it's a functioning, it's a tomb. It's a tomb for it's funny how the dead walk around on the surface and the living must be buried alive underneath the ground. It gives a, a new meaning to the living dead and the dead living, right? Whoa, that's a great alternate title for day of the dead, the dead living, the living dead and the dead living. Woo. I like that. I like the way that works. Um, Dawn of the dead. Uh, like I said, it it's so it's, it's gory. It's got action. But there are long periods where the movie is just focused on these characters as they kind of lose themselves. You know, there's deep, there's deep messages. George Romero was always so deep with his messaging in the films that he's making. And obviously, you know, Dawn of the Dead is a meditation on consumerism. You know, the idea of us you know, the way that we mindlessly consume materialistic things, these four individuals are on the run and just trying to survive and they get trapped inside of a bubble. The mall becomes a bubble. And that's why it's so important not to see zombies for as long as we don't see them in the movie. We almost forget that they're even there as they've sort of, you know, as they're experiencing a new sort of reality where they are completely insulated to the dying world on the outside. They're insulated to the notion that there are ravaging biker, you know, gangs out there, you know, scavenging on the road all throughout this thing. As Peter says, they have everything that they could ever want. And in that, because they have everything that they want, life becomes stale and, and sort of boring. They don't have to sort of work. They, they're not hungry anymore. Quote unquote hungry. They're not out there, you know, um, sort of living for the day. You know what I mean? Um, and they lose their, they lose themselves in the process. They lose themselves in the materials. The world has become so harsh 
that they have retreated inward and sort of numb themselves with materialistic, you know, uh, hedonism uh, as they numb themselves. And it's only when the outside forces break in that they are sort of jolted into this flight or fight or flight response and uh, are, are able to either push through and look at what happens to Steven, AKA Flyboy. He doesn't want to accept Peter is, is, is willing to detach and let go. He's willing to just sort of, he, he's passive. He's not looking for the fight. It's Steven. It's Flyboy who wants to defend what's theirs. This is ours, not theirs. And when he draws first blood by firing a shot, he ends up losing his life as a result. He creates that scenario where he dies. You know what I mean? I mean, they kill him, but he create he 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 allows that to sort of happen because they have mastered that environment. They could escape. They have the helicopter up on the roof. They have the perfect setup, really. But it's the it's his connection and his attachment to that those material things in that insula, insulated world that prevents Stephen from doing what he needs to do in a world that's really about survival. So that's all the some of the that's some of the stuff that's going on in Dawn of the Dead, right? The original. Now, what's happening in the new Dawn of the Dead movie? Where are any of the characters the same as the ones in the original Dawn of the Dead? No, literally not. In fact, what's weird is, you know, Dawn of the Dead begins, you know, some would even say that Dawn of the Dead really begins after Night of the Living Dead, right? Like it's, you know, the, the Night of the Living Dead, everybody survived the night and now here is the next day and everybody's kind of, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, getting out of Dodge, so to speak, you know, as society is beginning to crumble and people are starting to abandon, abandon their, their positions of duty. I mean, look at Roger and Peter who have decided to run. They see what's going on. They see the carnage all around them. They're like, we need to get out. It's the same thing for the newsman for, for Steven, who's a, who, who works for the news and is a flyboy, has a helicopter. And Fran, who works at the TV station, they have all the they're, they're, they are abandoning their positions of duty and taking off. In the case of the Dawn of the Dead remake, we're just we are thrown into a mix with just a random group of people where shit has hit the fan, right? Shit has hit the fan, and people are these people are are floundering, and it's a gamble. The person that you met five minutes ago is more than likely to be gone in the next five minutes as as what's his face says i forget his name i think his name is james weber the actor he's the guy spoilers if you've never seen dawn of the dead the remake the guy who who the the sarah polly's almost love interest the guy uh fuck i don't know his name you know who i'm talking about though that guy he's a great he's a great character in that in that He's a great character. Fuck now i gotta look him up because this is gonna bother me his name is james something what the fuck is his name uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, Jake Weber, and he plays Michael. Uh, great, great character and great actor. Okay, so um, Michael is he says to um, Kenneth, played by Ving Rhames, badass character who's kind of like supposed to be the Peter a little bit. You know, he's a police officer. Peter's a SWAT guy. They're both black. Like they kind of like are embodying this kind of archetype, or at least it seems like that's so supposed to be a play on the archetype, right? That sort of thing. Um, uh, but, but Michael says to him, don't go that way. Don't go this way because uh, it, it's really bad. And Ving Rhames, Kenneth is like, you know, how do you know or whatever? And he says, well, there used to be eight of us. The, there were eight of us just a few minutes ago. Now there's, now they're down to three. It's him, Mackay Pfeiffer and his, uh, um, his, his pregnant Russian wife, girlfriend person. Um, so, so it's like this, it's this idea of like, you're, you're, you're kind of smattered together with these people. There's no rhyme or reason. And, you know, the characters themselves, like there, there is great character to these. There, there is character and there is heart in the characters in the Dawn of the Dead remake, but there it's not, it doesn't take the movie, the problem, the move, the problem really with the movie, it's not so much of a problem as it is um, 
being called Dawn of the Dead. That's really the problem. It's called Dawn of the Dead because it doesn't take the same time. It's a very fast paced film. The movie is 90 minutes and it is a fast 90 minutes. That 90 minutes flies by so quickly. You blink your eyes and the movie is over. And that's a testament to really good popcorn action packed filmmaking from Zack Snyder. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like that's okay. But in the realm of what Dawn of the Dead is and what gives it its identity and what it's about and the fact that it's really using zombies to talk about deeper issues, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, is not doing that. There's nothing deeper. They go to a mall because the original takes place in in a mall. They could have gone anywhere and it still would have been that same 90-minute action-packed zombie film. The, The reason why we call it Dawn of the Dead is because the name was Dawn of the Dead in every other aspect. And, and it takes place in a mall in every other aspect. It is not a remake of Dawn of the Dead in the least. It is its own unique zombie film and it's fucking great. Yes. I know the unrated version of the Dawn of the Dead remake is 110 minutes, but the, the theatrical cut is 90 minutes. So we're going to go with the theatrical cut. I do prefer to watch. I used to always watch. That's what I had on DVD was the unrated cut. And I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember what those other 10 minutes were. I think actually there was a gentle, one of the guys, he he's got a penchant for women's shoes. And um, he talks a little bit more about, you know, his, his background. That's one of the scenes that was cut. There's a couple of things like that. Um, th- that, you know, there, there, like I said, there is character, these, but the characters aren't aren't deep enough. They're not deep enough for Dawn of the Dead. You know what I mean? Like uh, Jake Weber, Michael, we, we learned that he's kind of like an everyman who has worked a thousand jobs. He was terrible at being a husband, but he was great at being a father. Sarah Polly, she is a deeply, she plays Anna. Her name's Anna. She's a deeply caring, she's a nurse, and she's deeply caring and empathetic towards Everybody, even people who are marked for death, the guy who was bitten, the guy who plays the dad from uh, Honey, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, great character actor as well. I'm trying to remember his name is Matt, Matt Frewer, and he plays Frank, and his daughter is uh, Nicole, played by Linda Bo- Lindy Booth. I have the, I have everybody's things up here now, so now I can look and see who everybody is. And, um, you know, she, even though he's, even though he's marked for death, Sarah Polly wants to give him dignity while it's Michael who actually is like trying to like remove any sort of semblance of, of humanity of, of humanity from dealing with someone who, who, who is, who is marked for death. I mean, you, you have a ragtag, it's like an assortment of ragtag characters that all fill archetypes, but they don't, really feel fleshed out beyond whatever their archetype is supposed to be. It's completely different kind of filmmaking and uh, James Gunn's approach. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I feel, do I prefer the theatrical release of Dawn of the Dead to the, uh, to the unrated? I don't, you know, it's been so, like I said, I just revisited the theatrical last night and I'll, I gotta be honest with you. Like, I don't remember what else is in the, the, the uncut version. And I don't know. I honestly can't answer that. I always generally try to watch the longer version of a movie. Um, very seldom am I interested in watching a movie that is, that is less, that is less than, uh, or that is a theatrical cut with less runtime. I'll give you a great example of one where I prefer legend Ridley Scott's legend. The theatrical cut with the tangerine dream score is far superior to the Jerry Goldsmith score in the director's cut, which is significantly longer in running time. The scenes work better uh, as they are slight, they're slightly truncated and the pacing works better. And the music just makes that movie just zing compared to the Jerry Goldsmith score, which feels tr- clunky and trunk tr- clunky and, and, and uh, doesn't flow. I was going to say truncated. It's not truncated. Um, but to get back, you have like, you have uh, Norma. She's the truck driver, the old lady truck driver. You know, it's just like everybody's like a like a sort of like a, a cookie cutter, um, a cookie cutter kind of archetype. And you, I get the feeling that James Gunn, 
who is really great at not only just writing characters, but, you know, giving giving them heart, giving them real heart. Look at like Guardians of the Galaxy is like his prime example. Um, it almost feels like here he, he's getting one of his, this is what, his third studio job, right? Like he is, he is not focused on that kind of character work. He's not focused on on that and still there's still heart in this movie but it doesn't come from the character work as much as it comes from the idea of there's that moment where they have the blackout right they have the blackout and they have to jump the power and they go down and they 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 jump the power and they just they come to a realization it's a sobering wake up call where they're like this is fucked we don't want to die here in this mall we need to get the fuck out of here we they recognize what's interesting here is okay you know i'm realizing it now as i'm saying it here is one area where and again james gunn is a fucking brilliant writer so even though he's doing the, this more hollywood sort of archetype job on something like dawn of the dead which is probably what all of the executive suits wanted right like he's doing it because that's what they're asking for so it doesn't really feel maybe it's not as much of a passion project as it is like work for hire sort of situation still james gunn finds a wonderful way to inject like heart into his characters via like ragtag like you know underdogs who are who are gonna face overwhelming uh under overwhelming odds in which they are probably not gonna make it case in point they are surrounded by flesh-eating zombies they have no idea what's on the outside and they come up with this plan that seems so hair harebrained we're gonna we're gonna uh beef up some vehicles that are in the garage and we're gonna make a break for the marina and hope that we can get on a boat and just sail out to some islands that we don't even know if they're they're free of the dead or not and it's uh andy who's the he's just he's the scumbag character who kind of looks like he's the guy from modern family bruce bone is his name and he kind of um he, 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 you know, again, like just very rudimentary sort of cardboard, you know, archetype character that, that is done super well. Like it's done really well. You know, uh, he, he deliciously chews all the scenery and he looks at all of them and he goes, he goes, wait a minute. Or maybe it's CJ who says it. CJ, who's played by Michael Kelly, who's from House of Cards. And he, his character is great, too. He kind of he kind of does this. He, he, he has a real story. In fact, his character is one of the only characters that really has an arc. He, you know, that's the other thing too about all the characters. None of them change. None of them have any arcs. Whereas the, the characters in Dawn of the Dead, they, they have more of an arc than any of the characters in, and look at, again, look at what happens to Roger and Steven. I, I didn't even mention Roger. Roger, who's, who's, who's Peter's sidekick, you know, um, in the original Dawn of the Dead, what gets him killed? He's reckless. And why is he reckless? Because he wants to lock them all down. He wants to lock them all down so that they'll have access to everything in this paradise. And because of that, because he gets distracted, he forgets about the world that he is in. So the, the, the another theme of the original Dawn of the Dead is that if you forget the world that you are in, you're gonna get killed. In the remake... Everybody, nobody has an arc. Everybody remains the same. Sarah Polly is the same character from the first, from the beginning all the way to the end. Ving Rhames, same character from the beginning to the end. Everybody remains the same. The only person that, that changes, that actually actively changes is CJ, who played by Michael Kelly, is the security guard guy, who, who sort of uh, goes from being a, a real asshole to being a real hero of the hour as he sort of sacrifices himself so that the others can kind of get on the boat. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So they have like this rinky dink plan. He says, CJ says, he's like, he's like, you're gonna, he's like, you want to take some vehicles, go out there da -da 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 -da, and then get on the Island. And everybody in, and this is such a great James Gunn moment. Everybody goes, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that. Yeah. That's what we want to do. That's yeah. That's what we want to do. And, and he's like, all right, then that's what we're going to do. And it's like such like, it, it's really heartfelt because you can sense the desperation of this group of characters where they're just kind of like, like, we are fucked. We are fucked. We have finite resources here. Eventually the, sh the other shoe is going to drop and we're going to be in deep shit. And eventually, of course, that does happen with probably the single, like one of the worst, the biggest flaw of the Dawn of the Dead remake. 
I, I, I've talked about this before. Th th this this flaw is so egregious to me. It's so bad. It just from the moment I saw it, eighteen of twenty years ago, when I saw it in the theater, all the way until now, I have never ever been on board with Chip, the Chips, and Nicole Andy subplot. Right? Not Andy. Oh wait a minute, Andy. I'm sorry. Andy is the guy in the gun store across the way. Who's the modern the modern family guy is played a Steve by Ty Burrell. That's who I was talking about before. The guy who has the boat. Andy, Andy is the guy in the gun store across the way that bonds with uh Bing Rames character Kenneth as they they take turns sharpshooting. In any case, there's this whole subplot of of Nicole goes to rescue her dog and then everybody goes to rescue Nicole. And it could be argued, hey, there's 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 urgent there's agency to rescue Nicole because we can also rearm ourselves, but we're also putting the entire mission, we're putting the entire mission in jeopardy to rescue one of our party. And I feel like in Dawn of the Dead, the, the original, in like in, in any other scenario, that never would have happened. They would have left her. And you know what? Uh, I gotta I gotta be honest, this is kind of fucked up to say a better movie, a better turn. And this is me being a guy on the internet, being bold enough to rewrite James Gunn. Ready? I'm going to do it right now. What should have happened in Dawn of the Dead, what would have been a better, what would have worked better mechanically for the story. Ready? Um, uh, Nicole, who whose uh, who's dog is chips that they send over with the sandwiches for Andy, who gets bit in the process. She drives the truck, which is the same brand as what they drove in the original uh, Dawn of the Dead. She drives the truck to Andy's gun emporium and she gets trapped over there. Right. Um, what would have been a sort of better what what I think would have worked better, what would have been way more fucking brutal in a way, maybe it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as action packed as what they did in the movie, because what they did in the movie was really action packed. And super entertaining, right? That 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 subway, that sub, yeah, the 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 subterranean sequence when they're in the sewer. That was that was good. I mean, that was terrifying. And I guess one could argue and say, hey, we needed to we needed to do this in order to get to that. I feel like maybe there might have been other ways that they could have done that. Maybe they needed. I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and figure out why they needed to do that, but uh, that that would have worked better than what than a rescue mission for Nicole. But would have maybe been cooler or worked better is that. Uh, Nicole's love interest, Terry, who's the other security guard who kind of has a, he also has a slight turn a little bit. Well, he has a character moment where he has to decide whether he wants to, uh, be with his security guard buddies, uh, CJ and the other guy that gets eaten in the, in the parking garage, or if he wants to be with the, the survivors that they just met. And of course he wants to be with the survivors that he, he just met where maybe they tell Nicole she's, she calls out to them. She's trapped in the closet. And she goes, help me. And they're like, you did that to yourself. We can't help you. We can't put the rest of the group at risk. The group takes a vote and decides to leave Nicole trapped with Andy. And only Terry, who loves her, is, he says, give me a gun. And he's going to go to be with her and splits off from the group to be with her instead. And we never find out what happens to them. How about that? It's left completely ambiguous. They're probably going to die. He's probably going to die trying to get to her. Maybe he gets bitten. Oh, even better, ready? He goes off to try and get her. That's like a, a separate sidebar as they're pushing on. You could do the exact same thing. They're running away from the zombies. They're pushing uh, to get into the trucks to go to the marina. All that doesn't change. The only difference is that Andy, uh, sorry, Terry, takes the sewer to get to Nicole, gets bitten in the process, rescues Nicole, and now uh, they're both, he's going to turn, and she's just willing to stay with him, like kind of like uh, Tina and Freddy style in The Return of the Living Dead. That would have been fucking bad. It would have been really dark. That would have been really bad. That would have been a really cool kind of alternative thing, okay? Uh, uh, hindsight is 20, 20, 20 years later. Um, where was I going with all that? The point is, is that that whole subplot of rescuing her was just, 
it did not never worked for me then didn't work for me last night when I was watching. I was going, Nope, 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 Nope. That is not what would they, they would not do that. The, the group, a group would not jeopardize the group's welfare for one individual like that. And just, I don't know. It just wouldn't happen. I, I'd like to imagine it would not happen. So the point of all this is say is where does Dawn of the Dead, because we got to wrap this up, right? We got to wrap this up. We we can go on and on about this. Where does Dawn of the Dead 2004 fall on our spectrum that we've kind of established? And I would say that it is on, it is away from the middle. Um, It is more premise-based. It's a premise remake. It is not a shot-for-shot remake, and it's not a remake that improves on the original. So therefore, it goes in the corner of the the premise stuff, the kind what I was talking about with Jaws and Deep Blue Sea, right? The idea that we took the name, we took zombies, and we took them all, and we told a completely different story, and we're using the name Dawn of the Dead. So ultimately, we'll always be compared to Dawn of the Dead for that reason, the original, 78. And it's frustrating because I want to view these things as two completely separate things. I don't, I mean, the zombies move differently. It's just, it's you fast zombies versus slow zombies. These zombies have more in common with Return of the Living Dead than they do with Dawn of the Dead in, in, in those ways. And ultimately, you have these movies that are tied together forever, despite being different, because of the name. And it just... You know, it's a little frustrating, but, you know, I, I think that because it's such a good entertaining movie that it's sort of um, it, it almost sort of ascends its remake status. It ascends being a a sub remake because it's it's really good. It, it's sort of it sort of is elevated uh, in just being a good movie, but it is not Dawn of the Dead. It's not. The, there's no social there's no social commentary there's no real deep characterization and the plot is different that makes it a different movie in my book so is dawn of the dead 2004 a remake you waited an hour and six minutes for me to say no it is not it is a movie that has the same name and the same premise um Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tell me, what did you think of this episode? Was this good? Just off the top of the head? Did did we stay? Did, did we did we stay on point? What do you think? Um, Gary X says the best thing about the remake was the intro and the fin- final ending, in my opinion. Thank you, Gary. I like Andy too, Minister. I like Andy too. Yeah, I'm just curious to know what do you think? Do you think? Uh, what, what did you think of? Uh, do you think that? Dawn of the Dead is a uh, is, is truly a remake of Dawn of the Dead, um, and like I said, what what do you think of this episode? Was this this fill this is like a filler filibuster episode, just completely off the dome? Um, thank you. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. <laughs> it was good. I was lost. You were lost in my tangents of things. I I don't know if that makes it good. I feel like that doesn't make it good. If, if, if it was, if you were lost, that's not good. In fact, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't a good, good thing. Cause I'm kind of thinking maybe I'll do this more often. I like to, I mean, this is fun to do, but it's, it's just a, it requires a lot more brain power because you really got to stay on point or you got to make sure that you come back. You got to loop around. You got to make sure you come back to whatever it was that you were talking about in order for it to really work. So oh, I am tired I, of talking. So I'm going to stop now. Um, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Go watch it. Go, go watch it again right now. Please subscribe to the channel if you have not and, and leave me some skulls in the comments or the chat and we will see you again real soon. Peace, hair grease. You, you know, all the rest. Thank you.